Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Oh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. 2024 is going to be a monster year in politics. We want to keep you up to date on all things election, but you've got lives, families, jobs, and you can't always listen every day to the show. That's why we've created a podcast called 24 that gives a recap of our election coverage from the week. Think of it like a highlight reel, a breakdown of all the plays, analysis, and team interviews. 24 will drop at noon Eastern on Sundays in our podcast feed. You can find it on the free iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome, everybody. Thursday edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show kicks off right now. We've got a lot to talk to you about. Clay and I are down here in South Florida, Miami, handling some business, a.k.a. Clay wanted to experience our Floridian 75-degree <laughs> early February weather. Wow, it's February today. I can't even believe it. I, I actually thought we were still in January. But, uh, yes, much to discuss here all across the land. Thank you for being in with us. Um, and if you want to line it up right now, the call is 800-282-2882. Three big stories come right to mind today. We're going to dive into one of them here momentarily, but I wanted to lay them out for you. Also tell you that we've got uh, Charlie Spearing joining us for his book, Amateur Hour, Kamala Harris. Or Kamala Harris, depending on who you ask. Kamala, Kamala, Kamala. Disaster um, in every uh, sense of the word. Uh, she is in the White House, technically, or at least is in the Naval Observatory, uh, where she's the vice president. Charlie's going to talk to us about his book, what he learned about Kamala, and will she be the stand-in for Biden? Should Biden, well, we all know what could happen. Um, that's possible. And then, you know, meaning Biden steps down for health-related reasons. Uh, then we also have, uh, Andy McCarthy joining us to talk about just all the different cases. Clay and I make jokes about it, but it really is uh, absurd. There are so many legal cases that you have to get very specific, not only about which criminal case, which civil case, which state, which appeal, all these things against Trump. We'll talk to Andy about, well, where are we in this? What's real? What's not? What's the schedule? Where is their jeopardy? Where is this going? That'll all be in the third hour of the program, so some great guests coming up. Let's start with the, the three stories that I mentioned. First up, they are the drone attack. It's exactly what I thought they would do on the list of things that they would do. This was the most, uh, I think, most obvious. And so it hasn't happened yet. We'll talk about what the possibilities are for that. Um, I think the answer is, well, you'll have to hang out, and I'll tell you what the answer is later. Clay and I will dive into it. New York City's migrant economy, as in New York City, is now a refugee camp with over 100,000 refugee arrivals who are engaged in off-the-radar economic transactions and some criminal stuff, too. Uh, what's that doing to the city of New York? But, Clay, I'll, let's hop into this one first, because I was getting, just like you, in fact, I think we were texting about how we were both getting texts from other people. I mean, for for all of you... So far, the numbers, right? The numbers look really good for Trump, and it seems like things are moving in the right direction. But here's what we've got. 2024 matchups, Quinnipiac, Biden, this was just yesterday this broke, 
opens up a lead over Trump in national head-to-head polling. Um, Haley leads Biden one-on-one. But trails, both of, uh, but trails when third party candidates are in the mix. But Biden, according to this poll, Clay, six point lead over Trump. What do you make of this? Is this just an outlier or is this a turning of the tide? I don't think the tide's going to turn. I think Trump is basically, if you look at all of the collective data right now up on Biden, but the idea that Trump is going to go out and win by four or five points, I think, nationwide is very unlikely. I think also the idea that Biden is going to go out and win by five or six points is very unlikely. This race, when all is said and done, which is why we were focusing on yesterday, the seven-state uh, battleground poll that came out from, I think it was Morning Consult and Bloomberg, to me, the national polls are going to be a lot less significant. What you really want to look at is what's going to happen in Michigan, what's going on in Pennsylvania, what's going on in Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, and uh, and to a certain extent, New Hampshire and North Carolina. There are about 42, I would say, states that you don't even really need to focus on, right? We know who's going to win those 42 or 43. The seven state uh, uh, polls are the ones that are going to decide this election. So I'm not going to pay as much attention to the overall national polls because they don't really matter. And honestly, Biden probably has to win nationwide by three or four points because he trails the nationwide number overall. And there was a poll that came out today that I thought was interesting on a statewide basis, Buck. It had, and I know we got a lot of listeners in Minnesota, uh, it had Biden only up three in Minnesota. And that, to me, that Midwest individual state polling is far more interesting than whatever the, the nationwide polling might show. Because we know Biden's going to win New York and California by massive amounts. But if he's truly only up three in Minnesota, that would provide further credence to, I think, those Midwest state polls that are out there right now that are very favorable to Trump. One thing that comes up in this as well uh and and this was singled out in the uh, analysis that Quinnipiac put forth as part of this poll was the gender gap. Yeah, right? it's so getting worse. That's the part of this that may be a little concerning. Women 58 to 36 support Biden. I mean, you're talking about basically a 20 point gap. Women overall supporting Biden over Trump. December, it was 53-41. So those numbers are moving against Trump. Now, I don't know if that means this. No one knows if that trend will continue, if that stays. Um, I, I just wonder, you know, I, I know there's the VP option. That's, right? that's the where VP I was going to go. Let's, let's have Clay talk more about that so the Internet can explode for a couple of days. But I think it really is on Trump, actually, to, as part of his campaign, win back over, perhaps, some of the suburban women um, college educated women are a very tough demographic for Donald Trump right now. I don't know how many of them he can win back, but certainly there's gotta be, the numbers are so, the numbers are so disparate right now between Trump and Biden on this that you've got to think that even if Trump can chip away at it by a few percentage points, that could make the difference. I think people who are looking at this election, honestly, at this point, I know it's months away, but it's going to come down to a very small – it's about where you get the votes you need, not about the aggregate number of votes nationwide, your point about the polling. So it's going to be very tough. And I just wrote down and put an exclamation point beside it because I think this is very important. I think you have – so first of all, men are breaking for Trump and Republicans pretty substantially, right? So we talk about the gender gap. The gap is there because women aren't. I think you have to divide – if I were advising the Trump campaign right now – I think you have to divide women into two distinct categories because I think single women are virtually lost. Now, maybe you can chip away a little bit at that, but they're going to go all in on abortion. They don't like Trump. It is culturally not very acceptable for single women to be very uh, apparently Republican. And by the way, I know there are single women listening to us right now. This is talking in generalities, right? Every time we talk in generalities, people say, well, I'm a single woman and I love Trump or what. 
Yes. This audience is going to tend to skew a little pro-Trump, I think. Yeah. Okay, and pro-Republican in general. So I'm not talking about you specifically, but I bet if you're a single woman, hey, maybe we'd love to hear from you. 800-282-2882. If you're a single woman right now, I bet you will endorse what I am saying, which is when you talk with your girlfriends, when you guys go out, there is a pronounced anti-Republican, anti-Trump bent and I think it's directly connected to abortion. So I think it's going to be very hard to compete with single women. They are the base of the Democrat Party right now. Okay, married women, though. This is where, and this is why people get angry at me when I talk about the VP, this is where Trump can make hay, I think. If I were advising Trump right now, I would say you need to focus on married women. Because I think there are a lot of married women out there that are actually going to be willing to listen to the arguments in favor of Trump. Why? Married women, a lot of them have children. And I think if you look at a lot of single women, when they get married and when they have kids, and I think this is true of men too, you tend to get more conservative. Women out there that might be, when they're single, comfortable with the idea of, Men are awful. Men are uh, toxic. Masculinity. I just, they might say that's icky. Then guess what happens? They get married. They like their husband. And even if they don't love their husband, they have kids. Suddenly you have sons, <laughs> right? Of, even if they don't love their husband, Clay. Don't love your husband all the time. What's, what's going on here, Clay? This so, is getting depressing. I've been married almost 20 years. And there's lots of times I think my wife would say, I don't love everything that my husband's done. And I think every married woman out there would nod along. But. You have boys and you have sons, maybe you have grandsons. You start seeing the way that they're being raised and how everybody is saying that they're awful. And you start thinking, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make a lot of sense. Married women are winnable. And that is why I'm, and people get mad at me. By the way, Trump is winning with married women. And he can win even more with married right. women. It's, I think you have to it, divide single it, women for married women. Oh, absolutely. He wins married women, but he doesn't win them by the same uh, numbers that Biden wins single women. And if you go it. look at the data, that's where the difference is between 2016 and 2020. So I, that's why I think the VP makes, and people get mad at me. I think you have to look at Nikki Haley. I think you have to look at Elise Stefanik. I think you have to look at Christy Noam. I would look at our friend Marsha Blackburn. Uh, I, I think there are a lot of women out there that could make sense as VP candidates for Trump that would make the case that he needs to make to them better and easier than just Trump by himself. And, and it is worth noting that uh I don't know I don't know how much faith uh you all have in in Frank Luntz, but he he's out here saying this is cut seventeen that Biden is clearly, by the numbers, the weakest incumbent since Jimmy Carter. We went through this in 2016. We watched Hillary Clinton zoom in the polls early on and then collapse at the end. So this is no guarantee of what happens in October and November. But, Andrew, make no mistake. Joe Biden is the weakest incumbent in America since Jimmy Carter in 1980. And don't forget, on the Thursday before the election, Carter was dead even with Ronald Reagan. After their one debate, Reagan beat Jimmy Carter by nine points. This is a look into the future. My biggest concern, Clay... Um, well, other than the legal stuff and October surprise shenanigans and, and skullduggery, um, is any sense of Republican overconfidence here. That's the thing that honestly bothers me more than any other possibility here. It's like, oh yeah, Biden's so weak. He's such a joke. 97% of Democrats who voted for Biden are going to look at this and say, I'll take him over Trump. Maybe more than that. I mean, they're locked in, right? So now you get into turnout and independence and third, you know, it starts to become a very complicated pool that you're operating with. Um, but it's not going to be some walk in the park no matter what, because most of this is already baked in. I think the once analogy of 1980 with Jimmy Carter, I do think Jimmy Carter and Joe Biden is the best historical analogy out there. The challenge is, I think in 1980, people were still getting used to Ronald Reagan. The nation was still becoming aware of who he was. And that's why a debate in both sides, Democrats, Republicans, I don't think it's going to change anybody's opinion. I think this is going to come down to turnout, third parties. Turnout in third parties, to me, is going to dictate who wins this election. Because nobody out there is suddenly going to be, I don't think, oh, you know what? 
Donald Trump is different than I thought he was. Joe Biden is different than I thought he was. Most of us alive today have never had a campaign where effectively we have two incumbents running. Everybody has an opinion about these guys. That's why I do think the VP could be helpful for Trump, because nobody likes Kamala. If Trump got a VP that women, college-educated married women liked and felt like in some way reflected them, I'm telling you, and grab this, and we'll go back to it in November in nine months when the election happens, I'm telling you there are going to be women in particular that are going to sit around and say, I don't like Trump, I don't like Biden, they don't like Kamala, but if Trump made the right VP, they might say, but you know what? I really like Christy Noam. She reminds me of me. Or they might say, I really like people get mad. I really like Nikki Haley. She reminds Ooh, me of me. Clay Travis said it. He I'm did it. I'm talking about people who are swing voters. And that's what I would say to Trump, too. The base is baked. People are coming in on the base, and they're going to show up. General election campaign is about persuading people who aren't necessarily fully engaged, and they often make emotional decisions based on how they're going to vote going forward. 800-282-2882 on that. Uh, bottom of the hour, let's talk, I want to talk about the uh, refugee crisis in New York City. Notice that term, migrant, no, 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 refugee. New York City is a refugee camp now. We'll talk about it. Every day we strive to provide sanity in an insane world. Since our first day on the radio together, my cell phone company, Pure Talk, has been with us and been helping me out day in and day out. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network for half the price of the other companies. With unlimited plans starting at just $20 a month, the average size family saves almost $1,000 a year. As a veteran-owned company, Pure Talk is one that you can feel proud to do business with. With They champion your values and our relationship with you. Pure Talk offers reliable service and an excellent value, and they employ customer service team that's right here in the U.S. So... I also use them overseas, by the way, because they've opened up that possibility for people, too. But it's just an amazing cell phone company. It's who you want to have providing your service. You'll love them. So if you haven't switched from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, it's time to join people like me and so many of you who listen right now who have left that old wireless company to save money and to align yourself with a company that agrees with you about this country and about the future of America. Dial pound 250 Say Clay and Buck, join your fellow Americans, make the switch to Pure Talk. That's pound 250, say Clay and Buck, and save an additional 50% off your first month with Pure Talk. Keeping it real, keeping it honest. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com news and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com news. Identity theft protection starts here. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest-cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk, text, and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. Ooh. 
Welcome back in. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Awful story uh, that is going to lead to a response in some way in the Middle East. The death of three soldiers, all three of whom were from the state of Georgia, uh, based on an Iranian terror-affiliated group attack. And before I play a cut of Joe Biden, Buck, question for you. There seem to be an awful lot of super specific details already coming out about what the American response is going to be for this attack. You worked in the CIA. When I see all these details, I think to myself, why in the world are we signaling so clearly what our response is going to be, who we're going to hit, where we're going to hit? It seems like this is happening a lot with Joe Biden, particularly in the Middle East. Well, there's a clear Why answer. Why is that? Yeah, yeah. The, the answer is that the strike is mostly about domestic politics. It's so that Joe Biden doesn't look weak. In a foreign policy, and I'll say everyone who talks about it is guilty of it, and, and I try to avoid it, but it is generally full of platitudes and very vague, you know, look strong on the world stage, you know, what's... What's the perception of, of leadership? And, you know, there, there is some need to have an understanding of those things and to take them seriously, but it's all very much in the eye of the beholder, right? I mean, you can, there are some things that are very real. I mean, the Afghanistan withdrawal, debacle. No one can argue that that wasn't a debacle. Trump not starting a new war. You know, there are things that are, that are clear and obvious realities, but when you get into the more perception based stuff, then you're seeing a little bit of, what I think you have here, which is Joe Biden knows that he's a weak incumbent president, knows that the world is a more dangerous place. And if someone's going to say, well, that's vague, right? That's a platitude. Ukraine, Russia, October 7th attack in Israel, uh, the pullout of Af- in Afghanistan and the Taliban ascending to uh, run that country once again. The possibility of a Venezuelan invasion of Guyana, by the way, still hangs out there over some oil fields. I mean, there's some messy, messy stuff going on. Our wide open border, which is a national security issue, but put that aside for a moment. People don't think of it as a foreign policy issue, although it actually is a foreign policy issue, too. Um, he's saying this, or the details are coming out, Clay, so that the Biden apparatus in the media can say, see, Joe Biden's taking decisive action as commander-in-chief. They're going to blow up some, you know, some, uh, some tents and, and, you know, Training facilities with some, I don't know, some swinging tires and, uh, you know, pull up bars and stuff in the desert. I mean, they're not going to do anything that's going to change anything. Um, but they're going to show strength by attacking one of these proxy, uh, militia groups. And just to be clear about that, it gets a little, this is a little bit of a throwback to the Iraq war era when you had the country and effectively a sectarian. I mean, I was there when this was happening for a period of time. Uh, there was a sectarian civil war. We didn't really call it that, but that's what was going on between Sunni and Shia. And Iran became the protector of Shia interests, which obviously helps the Iranian government and their interests as well inside of Iraq. And so they stretching back now for many years and you know, over, over a decade, uh, decade, uh, two decades now, um, have been trying to arm up and train up. And they're some of the more sophisticated. Uh, we call them paramilitary units, but that's really just because they're not part of the Iraqi army, but they have the same capabilities as an Iraqi army unit, really. And the Iranians are doing the training and paying the bills. And they're there in country in Iraq to look after Iranian slash Shia Muslim interests. Same thing in Syria, by the way. Really helped the Assad regime stay in power. The Assad regime was was basically two things happened that kept it going. Russia actually stepped in. And Iran stepped in with with these, quote, paramilitaries or militias. So that's who's hit us in Jordan. And if you look on a map, you'd see you kind of this this corner of Jordan, you've got Iraq on one side, Syria on the other. So it's a strategic location, a forward deployed location for us, particularly for us to have air assets there. But we got hit. And and now there's going to be this response. But you ask why to bring it full circle. It's so the conversation turns into Joe Biden, commander in chief. Strength on the world stage, you know, speaking truth to our enemies, something like that. It's it's all for the political consumption. And there is a video that is out there that has started to go viral, and I want to play it for you guys. And certainly it's awful for the families of the three Georgians who were murdered by Iranian terror interests while they were sleeping in the Middle East.
I, I can only imagine how awful that experience is. Joe Biden continues every time he talks with someone who loses loved ones in the military, he continues to spread a falsehood. He continues to address his own son Bo's death and continues to say that Bo died in Iraq. Now, Buck, I don't know why he needs to do this at all. He could easily say, I know what it's like to lose a child. And he does. Bo Biden died um, after he had been back from Iraq for years. I think he was back five years before he ended up dying. Um, but here is Biden calling one of those victims, uh, one of the families of the victims of the, of the service members that we lost in the Middle East, continuing to spread the lie that he knows exactly how they feel because his son also died in the Middle East. Listen. We're promoting her posthumously to sergeant. Oh, wow. That is the best news I've heard today. Thank you so much. You don't know how much that means to us. Oh, well, I tell you what, it means a lot to, a lot to me. Uh, my son's been a year in Iraq since I lost him. And, uh, I, uh, you know, 1%, 1% of all these kids are the ones that, uh, really take care of 99% of us. Okay, I appreciate the president calling, whether it's Trump, whether it's Biden, whether it's whomever is going to be president in the years ahead. Buck, it is well established that Bo Biden did not die in Iraq. So for Biden consistently, when he makes these calls to say that his son died in Iraq and try to draw a direct correlation between this situation and what happened to Bo Biden? Bo Biden did not die suddenly by an attack of enemy soldiers. Now, Biden wants to argue that he got, he, Biden, with no real evidence to support it, claims that he got cancer because he was in, uh, Iraq five years later. I, I have not seen that to be proven. But to say in the call to try to directly connect what happened to him to what happened to this uh, th- these awful grieving uh, moments for these uh, these family members i just think it speaks to biden's willingness to continue to lie and i'm i'm not talking about lie about things or even disputable facts right where you say well we believe this you know this is going to increase the federal deficit by x amount and somebody else argues otherwise and there's a uncertainty as to what the truth actually is this is a lie he's been called out on it a ton and he continues to spread it and i think that's unfortunately reflective of the character of joe biden and yet because joe biden has a long history of lying and fabricating and i just don't think that he's held to account for it i think correct people they just he'll continue to do it and it's fine and i know people will say Oh, but, you know, Trump lies. Well, hold on, hold on a second. Lying about service related death in the military, that, that rubs people and generally of both parties. Yes. You would think the wrong way in a big way, but because it's Joe Biden, they'll let, they'll let this go. I think we all know what this is. 800-282-2882 on the lines. And I uh, remember coming up next hour and just a little bit here, we'll talk to Andy McCarthy about all the legal stuff, which could determine the 2024 election, quite honestly. So we'll break that down for you here in a few minutes. You know, there are miracles happening every day at each of the clinics in the Preborn Network. This nonprofit organization has one goal, and that's to save the lives of unborn children. They welcome pregnant mothers who are making the tough decision between whether to have their child or an abortion. Every mother who comes into a preborn clinic is offered support and supplies, from maternity clothing to diapers and so much more. They also offer an ultrasound experience, and that's how they introduce each pregnant mother to their unborn child. When they hear the heartbeat and see the movements of their child, they are much more likely to choose life over abortion. That's the miracle of life happening in real time at each preborn clinic, and it happens 200 times a day on average. Would you consider a leadership gift to save babies in a big way? A leadership gift would be a tax-deductible donation of $5,000, but that will sponsor preborn's entire network for 24 hours, that could help to rescue 200 tiny babies' lives. To donate, dial pound 250 
and say the keyword baby. That's pound two five zero say baby or donate securely at preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B U C K. Preborn has a 100% charity rating so you can give with confidence. Sponsored by Preborn. Sometimes all you can do is laugh. And they do a lot of it with the Sunday Hang. Join Clay and Buck as they laugh it up in the Clay and Buck podcast feed on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, third hour Clay and Buck kicks off right now. Our friend Andy McCarthy joins us. He is at National Review, a Fox News contributor, former federal prosecutor, and he is in Chicago right now watching his son play baseball so i'm sure clay is going to have some baseball related questions for you or you know little league questions andy but i can <laughs> and thank you thank you for being with us uh, if i can start my pleasure with, uh, uh 83 million dollar judgment against trump we kind of want you to give us your your just your top line on on that and we'll get to some of these other legal things it's just getting crazy isn't it andy i mean 83 million dollar defamation judgment how, how do you how does this stuff how can the system be taken seriously when it's so preposterous? Yeah, I, I think the best way to look at it is um, in the first of these two trials, the issue, the issue of sexual assault was actually on the table for the jury to consider. Uh, and they found it, but they awarded $2 million for it and then looked at the defamation and said $3 million more. So it was five million. So you have a case where the allegedly horrific thing that happened was at issue. The jury found it was proved, at least to their satisfaction, on a low civil standard of proof, but gave a very modest award, which I think is tant- uh, is testimony to the fact that um, you know it's it's a shaky story without a lot of um, factual support. Then you get to the second trial where sexual assault is not on the table, it's simply a question of damages for defamation, including one act of defamation that the jury actually considered but didn't have to vote on uh, in in the first trial, and it's $83 million. You don't even have, like, the sexual assault involved in the case, and it's $83 million. Very, I'd say impossible to square, but certainly very hard to square. So what do you think happens there? We get asked that question a lot. Um, obviously, Trump could negotiate alongside of uh, E. Jean Carroll's attorneys. Sometimes you see when somebody you well know, and for you thought they were not familiar, if a jury gives an outlandish verdict, a lot of times the, the, the two lawyers have already set a ceiling and a floor by which they say, hey, we're not going over this number, we're not going below this number. That obviously didn't happen here. Do you think they say, hey, we'll take 20 million and Trump says, okay? Do you think the appeal just goes on forever? And I mean, Andy, from a pure legal perspective, here's what I can't get past. And I'm curious how you would analyze this, even leaving Trump aside. He was found liable for defamation based on in the second trial comments that he made in 2019 before there had been any verdict rendered in the first civil trial. So this to me feels almost like a floating defamation. He didn't deny the verdict of the first trial. It feels to me like the story is being reported as if Trump made comments, and I believe she sued on subsequent comments, right? And that's a different story. But I don't understand how you can defame someone for a trial verdict that hasn't happened yet. Does that make sense to you? It seems very wonky and wacky purely from a procedural perspective. Well, it's it's procedurally confusing, Clay, because – The 2019 defamation was tied up in appellate litigation over whether he had immunity for it because he made the statement while he was president. And here is where I think the court made an error that I think the appeals court is going to look very uh, hard at. And that is Trump only wanted to have one trial here. Yeah. And Judge Kaplan insisted on having two. So I do fault Trump for not contesting the first trial. Because, yes. you know, look, if you're a defendant in a civil trial and you don't contest, it's not like a criminal trial. The jury gets told that they can draw an inference against you for not testifying, right? So you're almost assured if you don't participate to lose. And it, any good lawyer should have told them, you know, look, if you lose here, 
in the next trial, they have this doctrine that's called collateral estoppel, and you won't be able to relitigate. You know, he should have he should have participated in the first trial. But that said, it should only have been one trial. And sure, maybe there would have been a second one anyway, because if he kept defaming her, you know, she was going to keep suing him. And at some point there would have been a second trial. But it's really Kaplan's fault that there were two trials. And the result of how Trump handled it, he really didn't have a defense in the second trial. So it was like, I, I think this is like a human thing more than a than a legal thing. But I've always thought there's something really cathartic for a jury in finding someone guilty or finding against somebody on a on a civil tort. And the effect of that is to kind of depress the damages. Like you, you think that you've you've already struck a blow by saying the guy did it. And that has a moderating effect, I think, on damages. Whereas here, they didn't get to do that, this jury. The only thing, the only way, if they decided Trump was in the wrong, the only way they could slam him was with damages, and they really did. And on your first question, I think this isn't a normal case. I think you're right that in a normal case, they probably negotiate a, 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 an amount and like everybody goes home. But there's a political component to this, and because it's not a criminal case, Trump has to put up the money in order to appeal. He doesn't have to pay it to Carol, but they have to pay it into an escrow account. And I think part of what's going on here is if you think about this case and then you think about what's coming with this Judge Engeron uh, decision when he gives whatever he's going to give on the civil fraud case where, where the state is asking for $370 million, that's going to tie up a lot of Trump. That's half a billion dollars. Yeah that's going to be tied up for a couple of years while he appeals. Andy, uh, and we haven't even gotten to the criminal stuff, and I want to spend more time with you, with you on on that, uh, too. But the so, so the civil stuff, it sounds like they're draining his resources and his time, and, and there's just all, and also there's just the optics of going into court and this jury found against him and all this stuff. On the criminal side of things, though, what is the latest? I know we've talked to you about this uh, a bunch. We always look at, it seems, first and foremost, the uh, January 6th trial in D.C., because that's the one that could be the most politically damaging, according to the polls. Does it look like that's going to happen? Well, it looks to me like it can happen, Buck, until at least the summer. And then, to me... This is where I think I've been wrong all along. I've thought that it would be so unseemly to subject him to a two- to three-month criminal trial as it gets really close to the election that there was like a certain date that if they couldn't start by like X date, they wouldn't start. I I, I now think I was wrong about that because they've blown past every single norm you can imagine to get this guy. And I just think if the, you know, if it tees up, that they can't get to trial until, say, mid-July or early August. I think they're so determined to get that case to trial, they would try to push it to trial, even though it's two to three months, and even though in criminal trials, unlike civil trials, the defendant has to be present every day. So, you know, I hope I'm wrong about that, but um, I I don't think anything would stop these guys if they thought they could get that case to trial. Okay, so Andy, let's go into the time specifically, because this to me is the crux of maybe the 2024 campaign in general. Initially, they were going to try to start the Jack Smith case on March 4th. That's the day before Super Tuesday. There is 0% chance that that's going to happen, right? We're at February now. Uh, we've been saying on this show from the moment the Supreme Court took uh, the case that dealt with part of half of the charges on January 6th. Supreme Court can wait until late June if they want to to issue an opinion there. I think it would be very hard to start before the Supreme Court has ruled on that to say nothing of the presidential powers argument, which is currently pending before the D.C. Circuit and has everything frozen there. Right. Supreme Court can still take that up. Trump's going to appeal there. I now think that this New York City Alvin Bragg case may be the first to go to trial and that the Jack Smith case may or may not end up happening. If you were setting the over-under, and I know this is complicated, I know we got nine months until the election day basically sitting right now, how many cases do you think of these criminal nature are going to be able to be completed? I mean completed, jury, full verdict, 
before everybody officially votes. I think election day is November 5th, if I've got that right, for 2024. If you were setting an over-under right now, what would you make that number? I'm still going to say one. And the reason I'm going to say one is even though I think you're right that the Bragg case could get to trial, and that's a shorter one, I, you know, maybe I'm fooling myself on this, but I, if I'm the Democrats, I don't want to start with that one. I agree. He could actually beat that case. So they haven't been. And also, by the way, I think I'm curious, Andy, sorry to cut you off. I think Buck and I have been talking about this on the show. I think a lot of people see all of these New York City cases as just kind of a big gob, a glob that's all connected, even though some of them are civil, some of them are business related, some of them are sexual assault related in the overall New York procedural shuffle. Do you agree on that front, too? Not to mention the charges are less significant. Yeah, I I would put it this way, Clay. I think it's a no-lose for Trump and a potential bonanza. I think if he he loses the case, um, exactly what you said is true. It just, like, goes into the ether. It's another New York jury that had it in for him or, you know, whatever. But if he beats the case in Manhattan, which he could do because it's such a stupid case, that's going to discredit everything else in the lawfare campaign. And that would really be a coup for him, I think. One other question here. They'll do it. One other question that I haven't heard anybody else ask or talk about, and you're an expert, by the way, good luck to your son in this. Uh, he plays for the University of Chicago, I believe. That's got to be amazing. Uh, incredible school to have a kid at that supports free speech, by the way, uh, and also to have a kid playing in college uh, baseball. I'm sure you love going to those games. That's outstanding. Uh, and hopefully it helps to defray the pain of your Mets never having a chance to meet my, beat my Braves. Uh, but right. Andy, one thing that I'm not hearing anybody ask, I'm curious if you've thought about this at all. South Florida has been under the radar. What if South Florida decides to jump ahead of Jan 6 because they know the Supreme Court is not going to rule until probably June and there are many different complexities there? Not as many, it doesn't seem, actual complexities with the South Florida case. That could keep the Jack Smith case that I think Democrats want to be the focal point, uh, which is the one in D.C. Is it possible that there's too many moving parts now? And the Florida case is a serious challenge in terms of the facts for Trump, but I think the jury's very beneficial. I think the judge is very reasonable. That might last for months and box out the potential of there being charges brought and finished in D.C. Have you thought any about that angle? I think that Smith made a a strategic error with respect to that case, which will not allow for what you you just laid out. Otherwise would be plausible. And that is if you wanted to do that kind of fast and nasty and get it to trial, what you do is you leave the classified information counts out and you just do the obstruction case. Okay. And that I think he could have gotten to trial. The problem he has is he larded it up with like three dozen classified information counts. And under SEPA, which is the Classified Information Procedures Act, all admissibility questions about classified information have to be litigated prior to trial and there are appeals. So I think part of what's bogged that thing down is not only the ability to get access to the classified documents for discovery purposes, but also just the sheer breadth of trying to litigate all of the admissibility questions that could possibly come up bearing on classified information uh, documents in the trial. It's going to be very hard, and I don't think the judge is pushing to get the, the case to trial, so it's going to be very hard to get that to trial. Andy, you think Atlanta, sorry, we're really doing it around the world here of the, the legal stuff. Uh, you think Atlanta's just basically done? I mean, because of the prosecutor and the, and the ethical issues and the whole thing. I mean, is that a non-issue, at least in terms of the election? It's the hardest one to, to gauge because there's a lot of moving parts. Now the prosecutor's mired in scandal. She tried to do this big RICO thing to keep together what should have been a bunch of disparate little cases. And an overlay on this, Buck, is that um, Meadows is still litigating whether they can get the case transferred to federal court, which would basically start it all over again if that happens. And I still think he's got a good chance to win on that. So 
you know, I, I think that's very, that's a really tough one to, to gauge at this point. There's too much going on there. Well, but, but I mean, the prosecutor's issues alone, is that enough that you think maybe just derails it? The fact that, I mean, she's got, she's got real problems. Yeah, I, I think it derail, it may derail her participation in it more than it derails the case. But on the other hand, she's the one who pushed for the RICO. I mean, I think the RICO is preposterous. Uh, and these guys never committed, you know, you can't conspire in the criminal law unless it's a conspiracy to violate a law. And trying to get an election reversed is not a crime. So that's not really the basis of a conspiracy. So she tried to paper over that by invoking RICO. But the truth of the matter is the only thing these 19 people ever did together was get indicted. Um, you know, otherwise it's a bunch of disparate crimes committed by a lot of people, many of whom didn't even know each other or know what each other was doing. So if she's out of the case, I wonder if it lasts as a RICO as opposed to, you know, look, the four, the four people have pled guilty. They haven't, none of them's pled guilty to the RICO, right? And then with respect to one of them, they had a makeup, even though she has like this 140 page indictment or whatever it is, uh, they had to come up with another crime to get this person out of the case because it wasn't, you know, she couldn't plead to anything that was in the case. So it's a mess. Andy, enjoy the game. Good luck to your son, University of Chicago's baseball season. Um, and, man, as crazy as 2024 already is, I'm sure we're going to have you on a bunch of times breaking this all down with us. We appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Great to talk to you. Sandy McCarthy, Buck, he's as plugged in as anybody could be with all this lawfare that's going on. And, uh, by the way, we'll take some of your calls if you have questions about this, because I do think it's now the most significant aspect of the Trump-Biden battle that we can't fully handicap because all the information is not out there. Speaking of fully handicap, uh, how many of you out there like to fully handicap your fantasy football teams? How many of you out there are already thinking about fantasy football season even though there's only one game left on this year's season my kids are for instance they're already thinking about the draft who's going to be the picks you want to make a little bit of fun uh and hopefully a little bit of money in the process you can get right now believe it or not up to a hundred dollars in credit in your name if you just go right now to prizepicks.com slash clay listen to me carefully prizepicks.com slash clay i'm going to give you Picks for the 49ers game coming up against the Chiefs. Final game of the year. I'm going to be out in Las Vegas for that big matchup. And all you have to do to get hooked up is go to prizepicks.com slash clay. Again, up to a hundred dollars, no risk money in your account. If you make a hundred dollar deposit and I'm going to give you four winners next week. So why not go ahead and sign up? This is fun. You can check it out. It's easy to use. Prizepicks.com slash clay. Make your picks virtually everywhere in the country, including California, Texas, and Georgia. Get ready for the big game between the 49ers and the Chiefs. I'm going to give you some winners, hopefully. And in the meantime, they're going to give you up to $100, no risk, right into your account if you deposit $100. Again, prizepicks.com slash clay. One more time, sign up today. PrizePicks.com slash Clay. 24, a new podcast from Clay and Buck covering all things election. Episodes drop Sundays at noon Eastern. Find it on the free iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest Toothpaste, Secret Deodorant, Old Spice Deodorant, or Gillette Razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation supports America's greatest heroes, our service members, and first responders who die or are severely injured in the line of duty, as well as homeless veterans. These are heroes we all owe a debt of gratitude to. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responders, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs honor the sacrifices made for us. 
we're honoring the men and women who risked their lives and bodies for our country and our communities. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America with over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Not to mention there are dozens of golf outings and barbecues. The Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute educates kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day while helping our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. As we gear up for the biggest year in politics, one thing we can all do now is start voting with our wallets. By supporting brands and companies that share your values, you're sending a message. It's like buying a team jersey, and we're on Team Sanity. Our sponsors are, too. So before we get behind the candidates, let's get behind the people, our people. Everyday men and women who have started businesses across the country, people just like you and me. Support a Clan Buck sponsor and let your voice be heard. The more of us that support them, the louder our collective voice becomes. All right, welcome back in, everybody. we got Charlie Spearing with us now. He has a new book out, Amateur Hour, Kamala Harris in the White House, and Charlie Clay and I have so many questions. Good of you to be with us. Thanks for having me. So t- t- first off, would you just t- tell us some things about Kamala, the vice president of the United States, that we may not already know that we should know? Because you are deep diving into everything here. Uh, who is this vice president? What do we need to know? Yeah, just taking a look at her record and certainly her time as, as vice president has been sort of featured the word salads, but when you go back and look at her career, especially her presidential campaign, she struggled with a lot of the same problems she's having now as vice president. And it's what happens when you have a fairly popular politician from a one-party state like California sort of emerge onto the national stage and then immediately think that somehow you're going to connect with voters on a national level without gaining the necessary experience. So, Charlie, you, you, I think, have already gotten some attention for the story of how Kamala was selected. There's been reporting that Jill Biden, uh, Joe Biden's wife, was very un, uh, un, un, uh, unappreciative of the attacks, being uh, Joe Biden being called a racist in that uh, probably signature moment of Kamala's campaign, and that she didn't want, Jill didn't want Kamala Harris to be selected. Do you believe that to be true? How did Kamala Harris come to be selected? Who was she selected over? What what, what have you been able to discover about that? Yeah, yeah, Jill Biden actually was preferring Susan Rice because it became very clear after the summer of riots and the George Floyd protests that the, if, in order to sort of put together the uh, Obama coalition, they would need a woman of color on the ticket. This is what... Biden's senior advisors were telling him this is what Obama was telling him behind the scenes. They very much agreed that it, it was time to pick a black woman to be on the ticket. The, the hard part was picking was who it was going to be. Jill Biden favored Susan Rice, despite all of the craziness surrounding the Benghazi terrorist attacks. And so and certainly Pelosi and others did not necessarily make Kamala the first pick. But I think ultimately the senior advisors took a look at what Kamala was doing behind the scenes on the media aspect and really pushed pushing the issue hard. And they finally convinced um, Biden. He, he complained that he was forced to go with his head instead of his heart. And I think that's why he ended up choosing him. How confident are you uh, one way or the other, Charlie, after looking into all this uh, as to whether or not the Democrats would allow if they needed to allow for someone to take over for biden would they give it a go with kamala harris or do you really think like there's a lot of discussion about this out there uh that there could be some other plan where even though she's the vice president she wouldn't really take over the presidency yeah there's a lot of nervousness nervousness behind the scenes of what happens if joe biden can't make it to election day do we just automatically put Kamala Harris as the Democrat nominee to take over Trump? That's unlikely to happen. The only reason that Joe Biden's running again is because 
Kamala Harris isn't ready. So I foresee if if Joe Biden doesn't make it to election day, I can see it at a very a very tumultuous time for the Democrat Party. Uh, certainly, you're going to see a lot of donors trying to pull their their you know preferred candidate forward to replace Kamala. And certainly, no one expects Kamala to seriously compete with Trump at this point. Okay, so if Biden were not to run, uh, based on your reporting uh, about Kamala. What do you think would happen then? Kamala obviously has a very high regard for herself that doesn't seem to be reflected in staff, right? Even or to reflect say, reality. Yeah, yes. but to say nothing of what people in the larger world, you know, I mean, all of us know, sometimes perception of political figures or just celebrities in general can be 100% artificial. There are people that seem very likable in the public eye that are actually awful. There are people who seem awful that are actually very likable. To me, the fact that Kamala Harris can't keep a staff is not a very strong endorsement of her uh, both likability and also workability. What do you think they would do? So you're right. I think Buck and I would agree with you, and I'm, I'm interested that your reporting reflects this, that the idea was clearly Joe Biden's going to be 82 We'll pass the baton to the next generation of Democrat leaders. But Kamala has been such a disaster that Democrats have decided Joe Biden's the guy. Who would be in the mix? Do you think it would be Gavin Newsom? Do you think it would be Michelle Obama? Do you think it would be Gretchen Whitmer, uh, J.B. Pritzker? What would Democrats do, and how hard would Kamala Harris fight to argue that she had to be the pick in the event that Joe Biden's not able to be the pick? Oh, I think she'd fight tooth and nail if they tried to pass her up and put her, put somebody else in her place, somebody like a Gavin Newsom or a Gretchen Whitmer. I think Joe Biden preferred Gretchen Whitmer as a VP candidate back in 2020, but I, I don't think that she would be very happy if any, either one of those tried to. There's been a long history of competition between Gavin Newsom and Kamala Harris. Um, if do you think they like each other? What do you think their relationship choice. is actually like behind the scenes? Oh, the relationship between Gavin and Kamala is very much frenemies. On the outside, they are super cordial and nice to each other, but behind the scenes, they are very much working to protect their political brand and leverage themselves one over the other. It's interesting, they were both running for, both eyeing the race for California governor in 2016 and until the Barbara Boxer suddenly resigned and opened up a slot for Kamala's political ambitions. So, how is how is Kamala Harris? I mean, you obviously chart this. We've got a copy of your book here, by the way, Amateur Hour, which uh, folks, especially who are uh, streaming the show, can see uh, up on the website. Um, how did she manage to become the vice president? I mean, I know that's that's a book length question, and not just. But you know, what does she do well? How did she? We, I mean, she does have to get some credit for maneuvering as one of the worst national-level politicians based on political skills that are visible to the general public that anyone can think of, she did become the vice president. How did that happen? Yeah, it's interesting. The Biden campaign has, and you can see this as they head into an election year, they're really sort of focusing on her strengths, the things that she that she offers to Joe Biden. And one of those is the, the ability to promote the idea of abortion rights, um, another is connecting with young people. That's why she's been sort of playing in her safe spaces on the campaign trail, really focusing on those issues that Biden needs help on. They realized they needed a person of color to get up there and talk to black voters because Joe Biden was so bad on the issue right around the time that he was choosing a vice president. Famous lines like poor kids are just as smart as white kids. And back when he said, you ain't black if you don't, if you vote for Trump and those kinds of things is why they chose Kamala because he needed he needed help on that on those couple of issues. I don't know how much you spend it. Again, we're talking to Charlie Spearing. The book is Amateur Hour. Kamala Harris in the White House. Kamala Harris got her start in the political universe by being the mistress of Willie Brown, the mayor then of San Francisco. I think also very powerful in California legislature circles, if I'm not mistaken, over the years. That story, for the most part, is not talked about. And Kamala doesn't have children of her own. She's married to a high-powered uh, white Jewish attorney, Doug L. Uh, Emhoff, I think, who most people have no idea about. Yet she's supposed to be this paragon of black womanhood, even though she also is Afro-Caribbean. I believe she's half uh, uh, Indian, right? She isn't uh, 
that similar to most black women in America when you look at her bio and you look at her history. Why do you think there's been so little discussion about her history and how much do you think in your reporting has the media protected her past? Yeah, Clay, absolutely. The media has sort of protected her brand. There's a reason why people don't talk about Willie Brown, because she hates talking about it. She hates anybody, any discussion of how she first arrived on the political scene as the 29-year-old girlfriend of a 60-year-old politician, powerful politician running for Married the politician. Right. His wife, Blanche, was estranged from estranged from him, but he was sort of looking to prove that he could lock down a serious relationship where typically he was often seen with many women on his arms as he traveled around the city. But the reason why Willie Brown matters is because he appointed her to two different state boards that paid her over $400,000 in state funds while he was dating her. And, you know, Adjust that for inflation. That that's almost like eight hundred thousand dollars in today's money. So this is how she arrived on the political scene. Willie Brown funded her, brought opened the door, brought her into his political world, and that's why she's that really kicked off her career. And Charlie, this is important to me because for mo- we were just talking about how Biden does very well with women, right? Single women, married women. Kamala Harris as the other woman. The, what I would describe as the side chick of a man who is 30 years older than her, that doesn't resonate very well with especially married women who don't like the second woman who kind of swoops in with an older guy who's already had success. And yet, I bet huge percentages of voters have no idea that that is in Kamala Harris's background or is a prominent reason why she rose to power. That's right, Clay, and that's why I wrote the book. You know, there's not too many books written about the first term of a vice presidential candidate, but there's a very real possibility that Kamala Harris could be the 47th president of the United States if Joe Biden runs and wins in November. So it's important for for voters to sort of look deeper than just the word salads and really understand who this woman is and how she got to where she is now. And then that way you can have those conversations about when you go to the voting box in November, who are we voting? Who are we voting for? Are we voting for Joe Biden or are we voting for Kamala Harris, someone who hasn't run a national campaign on her own successfully to this point? Charlie, uh, the book Amateur Hours out. Charlie Spearing is the author. Before we let you go, one quick question for you: Is you're a Kamala expert now? <laughs> that is a title that you carry around with <laughs> you, right. sir. Who is more likable, Kamala Harris or Hillary Clinton? Ooh, that's really tough. Ooh, indeed. I would say yeah, he's stunned. He's actually stumped him. Yes. All right, Charlie. Well, if you want to keep everybody in suspense, maybe they'll get a sense of it when they read the book. Amateur Hour, Charlie Spearing, the author, um, the Kamala Harris in the White House. Go get the book, everybody. Charlie, thanks for being here with us. Appreciate it, man. You bet. I would say Hillary Clinton is more popular because she's at least earned the the loser's flag of of sympathy. All right. I think we're going to have to answer that question. I'm going to answer it for you, Buck. I'm curious what your answer. Charlie, great work. Appreciate the book. Thank you. You know, Clay, downstairs, I got something special that I can uh, hook you up with, my friend, because, you know, we start to drag a little bit traveling and doing three hours of radio. I'm not sure where this is headed. You know, I got a little special something for you, courtesy of our friends at Chalk. You know, actually, one of the boxes by my front door right now is my latest Chalk delivery. I love the Chad Mode pre-workout from Chalk. It is so helpful for getting me fired up with energy for workouts, for writing. I'm a writing machine. The focus, the energy, the drive that I have with uh, Chad Mode from Chalk is phenomenal. And if you want something that's a more holistic day in and day out overall wellness, energy, drive, and focus approach, they've also got a male vitality stack, which is formulated by Chalk, by our friends at Chalk, to address declining levels of testosterone which are at an all-time low nationally. So this is a big problem, and you want to get some good solutions going. Boost your testosterone, mood, energy, and focus in 2024 by subscribing to Chalk's Male Vitality Stack. I'm going to take a scoop of the pre-workout as soon as we're done here. Make it a part of your daily regimen. You'll feel the difference. May well be the ultimate daily boost for American men. 
You also hear about us talking about Chad mode, obviously. I was just saying, I got a whole new box of it downstairs. I got, I got the, the flavors going. It is, they tell me you can mix it in other things. I think it tastes so good. I just put it in water directly. Uh, so Chad mode's the best pre-workout I've ever had. Honestly, it's, it's just the best. Uh, and during February, Chalk is offering a massive discount on any subscription for life exclusive to you in this audience. So go to chalk.com. It's choq.com is the website. Use my name, Buck, as your promo code. That's chalkchoq.com. Use the name Buck for this amazing discount. 24, a new podcast from Clay and Buck covering all things election. Episodes drop Sundays at noon Eastern. Find it on the free iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Now that spring is here, it's time to focus on self-care and revitalize your personal care routine. Now through March 26, head in store, shop for all your favorite personal care essentials, and earn four times rewards points. Shop for items like Crest Toothpaste, Secret Deodorant, Old Spice Deodorant, or Gillette Razors. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. One of the best shows of the year, according to Apple, Amazon, and Time, is back for another round. We had a big bear of a man. He was called Mal Evans. He was on roadie. And uh, <clears throat> I was coming back on the plane. And he said, will you pass the salt and pepper? And I misheard him. <laughs> I said, what? Salt and pepper? Listen to season two of McCartney, A Life in Lyrics on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.